Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network I don't have like a first memory of the mosque I've always been there It's just been like a constant in my life Like I've moved around But the mosque has always been like that place So that's why I refer to it as, as my home We know that human beings are just here to know about each other, to learn about each other, and to also reinvigorate each other with all the diversity that they have. I begin by acknowledging that today's show has been recorded on Naitahu land in the region of Otautahi, also known as Christchurch. I'm Emma Crunch. Radioactive show producer, and I've been living here in Otautahi since January. On today's radioactive show, we hear from members of the Muslim community in Otautahi Christchurch in the wake of the March 15 terror attacks in two mosques. Listeners will likely be aware of the horrifying details of that day. 51 people have now died as a result of the attacks in the mosques during the Friday call to prayer. A 28-year-old Australian man has been charged with the murders. I would like to extend my grief, love and commitment to ACT to all those affected by the attack itself and its broader ripple effect in occupied Australia and beyond. The conversations I bring you today have been recorded by Lana Hart as a part of the special After March 15 podcast series created by Plains FM, a community radio station in Christchurch. Thank you to Plains FM for sharing the audio with us, and the full podcast series can be found on their website. Firstly, we hear from Asha Abdi, a young person who has grown up attending the Al Noor Mosque, followed by Asma Azara, who is helping conduct research with her community affected after the attacks, identifying their needs in the short and longer term. Finally, we'll hear an excerpt from Hisham Eldai, a geneticist also from the Muslim community in Otatahi. Here's Lana Hart, host of After March 15th. I'm with Asha Abdi, a Muslim youth who has been really busy responding in many ways to the events of last month in her Christchurch Muslim community. Thanks for coming on the show, Asha. Oh, thank you for having me. You were raised in the Al Noor Mosque and have talked about how you learned to walk and talk in the rooms of the Majid. Can you tell us some of your memories about growing up there? I don't have like a first memory of the mosque. I've always been there. It's just been like a constant in my life. Like I've moved around, but the mosque has always been like that place. So that's why I refer to it as as my home. And my favorite memory, I have so many, just being a kid. And I remember me and my friends when we were like five or six, we would do ra- we'd race around the mosque and I fell over. So I have like this, it's not a big scar, but I do have a scar on my knee and on my toe from that race. What are your feelings now about your place of worship? At first, I was honestly a bit worried. I felt like it kind of, in a way, got tainted. But it took me four weeks to go back, and when I did go back and I was praying, there were these kids who were bickering and messing around, and they were trying to, like... One really wanted to play with the fire extinguisher, the others were, like, fighting him, trying to talk him out of it, and I just thought, 
this is who I was as a kid. You know, there are still kids playing around and there's going to continue to be kids playing around. It still, it still felt like home. So if those kids weren't there, I don't know what I would have done. I think it would have been very overwhelming. But they reminded me that it's still going to be the same. So it sort of grounded you yeah. having the observation of other children who were just like you. So when the tragedy happened, Esha, what did you do to help out in the aftermath? The first Saturday, I kind of just spent just at home kind of crying. I didn't really know what to do. But on the Sunday, I called my friend up who was volunteering and I just said, tell me what I need to do. And I went to the welfare centre and I mostly did delivering food packages so there we had like a whole room full of food and water and I kind of just chucked it in a van and just went from house to house and delivering it so I did that for a week and I had to go back to school obviously Mm. but after school I would still continue to do deliveries or whatever needed to be done. What was the the tone of the welfare centre? You're only talking 48 hours after the event. It was very sombre at first, kind of chaotic, because people didn't know if their loved ones had passed or not. And a lot of people just kind of wanted to confirm their bodies and just see them. And so a lot of people there were grieving and shock and kind of even I was a bit lost as well like I was kind we were all just kind of frozen in that moment and there were a lot of civil defense people as well and police so it was very frightening in a way but everyone was just trying to find their loved ones that was really what was going on and you yourself and your family would know almost all the people associated that were visiting the welfare center How was that for you dealing with your personal feelings as well as trying to support the people that you had grown up with? I think the most difficult thing for me was seeing people that I cared about in pain and not being able to do anything to take that pain away or just knowing some of the people who passed and not kind of clicking because I knew, I I heard and I knew, but it didn't really settle in. Yeah. You have spoken, Aisha, about the context in which this crime occurred. And in the Christchurch Press, you wrote a powerful piece on the 6th of April. Can you read an excerpt from that for us now? Uh, Yeah, of course. What many of us Muslims already understand is that this didn't happen out of the blue. This is the result of decades of anti-Muslim rhetoric. This is what happens when you dehumanize and demonize a group of people. We were always seen as a threat never the ones that needed protecting. That is why this has happened. Can you please tell us more about your views on this issue now? I still very much feel the same way. I think that media had a big role to play. If you have a huge, huge platform and you're reporting on a a group of people, you need to be quite sensitive about it because people will watch this and their views on that group will change. And I truly believe that had there not been a very anti-Muslim rhetoric in the news, in the media, this probably wouldn't have happened and people wouldn't feel the way that they do about Muslims. And 
I remember a few years back I was listening to an RNZ podcast called Public Enemy and they were talking about Muslims in New Zealand being unfairly targeted by SIS and there was this one boy, 14, he posted on social media he wanted to be more religious. SIS came and visited him and there's this kind of, there's this magnifying glass that's put on Muslims like all he wanted to do was maybe read the Quran more often, pray more often, but that was seen as something threatening to the community. There were people who were asked to spy on their own community. And I I just want to know where they got the idea that that community was threatening. Did we really do something? Were there really people who were, were an actual threat to the public? And I honestly doubt that. I think... They spent so much time spying on Muslims when they could have been spying on people who actually were threatening. And this this man, he got away with a lot. Like, he posted on social media and they he still slipped under the radar. He still slipped through the cracks. But there's a 14-year-old boy who wants to be more religious and they had all eyes on him. Asha, there's a lot to do in Christchurch and within your community in particular to recover from what's happened to us. What's next for you? There are quite a few initiatives that are going on and uh, me and uh, other group of people are trying to get a youth group going so that kids kind of have a group of people that they can rely on and we also want to make the mosque like a hub again where everyone comes and gathers and meets up like the way that it was when I was a kid. What about for non-Muslims? What would you be expecting from us? To not go back to how things were before, I think the best way to honour the victims is to actually change. And I think, not honestly, I think there aren't that many people who are racist. I think there's a huge group of people who are silent about that. And I think that it's very important for the large, moderate group to stand up for people. And also, if you see something wrong, call it out. If you see someone dealing with racism... Try to support them and stand up for them because the best thing is when you don't have to stand up for yourself because there are people protecting you. So that's what non-Muslims can do. You've just heard from Asha Abdi, a young Muslim woman in Christchurch, being interviewed by Lana Hart of Plains FM Community Radio as a part of their After March 15th podcast series. Asha ended by speaking about the importance of real change after the March 15 attack by non-Muslim people, confronting racism when it arises and holding the media to account. Today on The Radioactive Show, I'm sharing with you some of these important conversations and different perspectives from the Muslim community in Otatahi or Christchurch. We'll next hear an interview with Asma Azara. She's a Muslim woman living in Christchurch and a researcher. Here's Plains FM interviewer Lana Hart. Asma Azar is a student in Christchurch who has lost no less than eight close friends on March 15th. After the event, she was closely involved in the support of many families in the Muslim community and also contributed to important on-the-ground research which mapped out the immediate needs of the affected families in line with Islamic beliefs around death and forgiveness. I asked Asma to explain to us what some of the findings of her research were and why things like credit card debt were important to understand. 
Well, if I talk about this research, this Muslim Association Canterbury and Fionn's collaborative project is social need integration assessment uh, form, which is being filled these days by the community members out there. It was assigned to us by Shagaf Khan, who was uh, in the dire need of volunteers at that time to assess the needs of the affected families. A special volunteer group for Christchurch Relief Volunteer Team was formed, and it includes myself, Asma Azhar, as uh, the communication person, Mubashir as data analyst from Solgam, a society of uh, local governments Wellington, Dr. Ibrar, who is a policy and strategic management controller there, and then Nazar Hussain as a dot data auditor there. In addition to these core researchers group, there are more than 20 volunteers who are tirelessly working since day one to help us to collect the data from the families. So to uh, assess all those needs at that time, we need to have some data with us and we did not know even that what's going on. In the very next week, right after the burial week, uh, we decided to work on the development of some questionnaires for the families to understand how many people were affected actually. What are their details? What are their contacts? What are their even account details? What mortgage they've been paying? I mean, even their credit cards, if they have to pay. Because Muslim uh, faith is a little bit different faith. If we are debtor of somebody, if we have to, we have borrowed something from someone. Before the burial, we announce there that if somebody has some something which this person has borrowed from you, if somebody is claiming something like this, so the person either can wave off or can have from the family right now before the burial. Is this to usher the person into the afterlife? You yeah, want there to course. be yeah. a clean slate? Yes, yes, that's the thing. What were your findings? Number one, the mental health and well-being side. Muslims have their own, you know, concerns about counseling and all that. They respond differently to the counselors because they have their religious set of mind already in place. So they would not be, you know, getting any mental health or mental aid from anybody who is not from their faith. So they believe that only one thing can heal them, either the Muslim imam or Muslim, their religious practices. Second thing which we have quantified it already and that is uh, accommodation. I know there will be so many people and even if we see the, those people who are injured and they are facing a long-term injury, we have to look after them too, provide them accommodations with customization of their needs and all that. This is another area which is highly demanding at this stage. And then third one is child care, which is a huge concern for me. Then more than 200 uh, children are there. So that would be the deceased, mm. the injured, and, and their the families. families. Yes. No other number, even not the trauma number, because that will be huge. Massive. Our, our understanding is more than 2,000 people, including their families. And I'm telling you, Lana, these, these needs, it's going to be more than four to five years project minimum. Even we had a need assessment with a few NGOs over here who are from UK, USA, Canada, Australia, there to just to see the needs on ground. They even told us that it can be a five to ten years project to look after the Indeed. families here. So yeah. you've established what the three primary needs are within in the immediate ad- yeah. aftermath. And what was the time frame that this research occurred? Was it within days or weeks of the tragedy? It started right uh, next week of the tragedy, and uh, it's still going on. We are now looking forward to have some, you know, MOU with different government agencies or with government to share the data, share the information with them, and see how they can 
integrate their information with our information because we we have got the closest information in terms of community needs because we are talking to them and getting the data and then get it signed from the families that uh, that they are happy to submit their their demands and the needs this is a huge contribution from any community out here right absolutely mm-hmm. and you're within the community yeah, providing it providing. about your own community asma what do you think the next steps are based on these findings we are supporting government to look after in a much better way as they have shown their courtesy and their you know support to the uh, to the community we are on the same page i mean muslim association canterbury has nothing to do with any any other thing all of these efforts have been put up voluntarily and uh, will will continue as long as it takes i understand you're also supporting a woman whose husband died in the attacks can you tell us a little bit about how she is doing that story is becoming for me it's becoming more moving now because the more i'm coming closer to her the better i'm understanding that i'm in dynamics of a culture affects somebody out there she has her fears already as a female she is not ready to face neither back home nor here so i just want her to be i just want her to feel safe for some time and then she will be able to get her strength and probably get better decision for her life is she still scared because of the terrorist attack yes, to go out is. in public with hijab yes on. she is she she's she told me that here she feels scared and back home she is stigmatized do you think that other muslim women since the tragedy are nervous about being out in the world either alone or with others fears are anyhow there even me myself i have to see that if i'm going to a community where more muslims are there i'm more free to wear my hijab and all that right but if uh, i'm going to a community where more you know other communities are available then i try to you know be more moderate i mean considerate about the things to move on anyhow that that reluctance is there how do you feel and how do you think other muslim women feel about the fact that we've gone from high high security alert to medium and the police will no longer be protecting the mosques and other events in the same way as they have been over the last 7 weeks I personally believe uh, there should be some more time to the security side. We should provide them a foolproof security anyhow because uh, these things were open to anyone you know very well. Muslims haven't stopped anybody to come in there even now. Mm. And that person even who did this all he had uh, his complete surveillance of the system inside. So it means we have provided him enough chance to get into it so for that very reason we we understand that he knew that when when will be the door close he knew knew that when will be the prayer time and he knew everything about us so it means he had a proper plan set up in his mind so we need to know that how we can look after these matters in future sure so that such tragedies which were i would say the unprecedented it's something which is unacceptable and pretty shocking for us still mm. yeah So coming back to the recommendations again Asma what will the other things that your report about research into the muslim com- families affected by the tragedy include New Zealand is not accustomed to any such incidents we have to plan a whole new paradigm shift for to deal with such sort of crisis 
another thing is if you guys think like that government and government agencies and the people out there who are community leaders if they haven't performed well or they haven't you know looked after the people out there then you are living in another world i would say because people have been looked after very nicely something which should be acknowledged now and the first two rounds of the amounts have been provided already along with many other small aids from different agencies and different you know donor companies other than that what uh, victim support has to provide to the to the affected families even 10 million dollars will not replace the departed soul so you should now hold on for a while and wait for the government to see that what they have devised for you as a lifelong plan because we are working on it and it's not a joke it's not an overnight thing that you will be coming up with some strategy overnight they have to plan it nobody in uh, in new zealand was ready to respond to such sort of thing so it's something which is very new to us asmarazara muslim woman and researcher in christchurch speaking to lana hart from plains fm in their after march 15th series that we're bringing you just a couple of snapshots from on the radioactive show. We'll now hear Lana speak with Hisam Eldai. In his native Saudi Arabia, he discovered genetic causes involved in colon cancer and continues his research here at Lincoln University. I asked him to start by telling us a little bit about himself. I have been a member of the community for 6 years now and I prayed at the Al-Nur Mosque and that's where I regularly used to go um but with that said um I always wanted to go to the Linwood Mosque mm. but I've never gotten the opportunity. Your accent is interesting. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> yeah, well, so I do have a bit of a multicultural background and that sort of tells you about the person who I am and and, and I consider myself in that regard to be a reconciler of cultures so basically um ancestrally from Sudan I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia and spent a bit of my life in India before coming to New Zealand and now I'm a Kiwi a man so, of the world <laughs> a man of the world yeah very good uh, you bring so much experience with us Hisham and I know that many of your family and friends were directly affected by the attacks of the 15th of March can you tell us who has been affected in your life for having been here um this much of time um I I pretty much know everybody Uh, there and some of them are very close friends to me and others are as good as uncles and especially uh, the elder folks that we have um in the mosque like their experience their insight in life we used to learn a lot from them so they would i would consider them to be uncles fathers to me so in that regard this is um these are some of the people and then we also lost let's like think about it in this way we lost doctors we lost engineers we lost phd's we lost philanthropists so the loss can be looked at through um you know multiple levels and um and it's a big loss really in that regard so everybody are connected right now and everybody knows that we have lost Bye. 
this tragedy didn't occur in a vacuum. Can you give us a sense of what your experience and those of your friends and families were prior to the tragedy as a Muslim living in New Zealand? If we look at it through that lens, then prior to the tragedy and for a long time since September 11, the Muslim community, they just did not want to be visible. They just wanted to keep themselves not really sort of talk much or rock the boat, so to speak. And they just wanted to like live peacefully and continue their life. So they were like pretty much under the radar in, 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 in the sense that they just did not want to be sticking out visibly. And I think the reason for that was they did not have a sense of who they are in terms of where do they fit in the in the, in the bigger New Zealand fabric, the social fabric of New Zealand. So many of them, they did not know if they were Muslims of New Zealand or Muslims in New Zealand who are just only transiently here and they're not part of the... So like that was before the events, but then when we saw the reaction the utter rejection of um, the ideology which have caused the attacks. And we, when so people coming out, um, Hagley Park and all the memorial services that have taken place, and you saw thousands of people, then that's like for the first time I realized that we're not alone. I realized that it, it's such a great confidence booster, to be to be frank. So now, yes, we're much more um, um, empowered. We're much more Kiwi. We're much more part of New Zealand, and we know that we're not alone. What did you think of the mantra, you are us, they are us? It sort of touched a nerve, a direct nerve with me, because if you remember on the um, Friday, the memorial service that was opened by Jacinda Ardern when she came over, and she quoted this um, um, saying from the prophet, and, and, and when he said, uh, the believers are like one body. If one of it suffers, the rest of the body would react to it in, in pain. So that strength of connections that you are us and we are you is, is just really awesome. It's just really awesome. And it connects to us because for a long time we know that human beings are brothers and sisters. We know that human beings are just here to know about each other, to learn about each other, and to also reinvigorate each other with all the diversity that they have, with all the ideas that they have. We have come a long way as a human species. And so um, you are us and we are you is, is, is a great mantra, and it connects us all. That was Hisham Eldai, a member of the Muslim community in Otautahi Christchurch. It's important to note that while the New Zealand government, in, in particular Jacinda Ardern, has been widely appreciated for her compassionate and decisive response to the March 15 attack, there have also been criticisms. In particular, many Maori leaders have disputed her statement that this is not us, highlighting the violence of European settlement in Aotearoa and past massacres alongside continuing violence today. This show has shared just a couple of important voices from the Otautahi Christchurch Muslim community. There is so much more to be heard, seen and discussed, and as Asha Abdi said in the first interview, we all have a responsibility to learn and act. Today's radioactive show has been produced by myself, Emma Crunch, and has featured audio from Plains FM radio series after March 15th. Thank you to Asha Abdi, Asma Azara and Hisham Eldai 
for sharing their words with us and Lana Hart for her interviews. This radioactive show has been produced in Ototahi for 3CR Community Radio on the lands of the Wurundjeri people in Fitzroy, Melbourne. It can be heard throughout the stolen land called Australia on the Community Radio Network. The podcast can be found on 3thenumbercr.org.au and you can find Radioactive Show on Facebook. Thanks for listening and here's to a peaceful and nuclear-free future. Mm-hmm.